Good afternoon, and welcome to Strategies for Maximizing Your Investment in a Cloud-Based Data Warehouse, a Health System CIO Media Inc. production sponsored by 314E. Just a little housekeeping before we get started. My name is Anthony Guerra. I'm the Editor-in-Chief of Health System CIO, and I'll be your moderator today. We're looking forward to your participation. You can send in your questions or comments anytime in the Q&A box, and we'll take those later in the program. Just so you uh, see our, how we're going to spend our time today, first, we're going to have our main panel, about 35, 40 minutes featuring Chris Hutchins, VP, Chief Data and Analytics Officer with Northwell Health, Beth Lindsay Wood, VP and CIO at City of Hope, and Dr. Siv Raman, Chief Product and Analytics Officer with 314A. And then we'll have our Q&A. So let's jump right in. Chris, let's start with you. Can you give us an overview of your organization and your role? Certainly. First of all, you know, thank thank you for, for having me, and I'm happy to be here with, with my esteemed colleagues. Um, Vice President and Chief Data Analytics Officer, as you indicated, uh, at Northwell Health, we're based in New York. Um, spread across Long Island in, in the metro New York City area. We're about we're 23 hospitals, roughly 900 outpatient facilities. Uh, I think the latest tally I heard was like 83,000 employees of the health system. Uh, we're the largest private em employer in the state of New York. Uh, we have medical school, nursing school, um, very robust research division, um, and uh, a uh, pretty healthy um Ventures arm as well, really doing doing a lot of work in the innovation space, um, heavily focused at the moment on, on some AI and um, opportunities for commercialization. Very good, Chris. Thank you, Beth. Yes, I'm Beth Lindsay Wood. I'm the senior VP and CIO at City of Hope. Um, City of Hope is uh, based out of uh, Southern California. Um, the headquarters are in, in a small town called Duarte, right outside, right outside of L.A. Um, the organization just recently acquired um, Cancer Treatment Centers of America, which is in other, other states um, in the United States. So we are now a national and the only, I believe, national um, cancer treatment center um, in the nation. So we're very proud of that, um, trying to deliver high-end cancer care. Um, across the across the states, so um, we are again started in LA. A lot of growth and expansion, a lot of very high end um, cancer treatments, heavy research as well. Um, and so we are um, in the in the uh, throes of the integration of an acquisition. So, uh, but very excited to be working and part of. Uh, the CTCA organization as well that are coming in. Very good, Beth. Thank you. Siv? Uh, hello, everyone. I'm Siv Raman. I'm the Chief Product and Analytics Officer of 314E. Uh, we're uh, a health information technology company that has been in existence for about 17 years. Uh, we've done uh, health IT services work on, uh, on the provider side, uh, EMR implementations, especially Epic, cloud migrations, data and analytics. And uh, we've made the foray into products uh, about four years back. And we have products in the domain of practice uh, management and reputation management systems, uh, data archival systems, as well as health data platforms and digital adoption and learning management systems, uh, all focused on the healthcare space. Very good, Siv. Thank you. All right, let's jump right into it. Chris, we'll start with you. Please talk about some of the applications and workloads you've migrated to the cloud. Why did you select the applications in that order? What was your motivation and what did you hope to gain? Great question. The, the the first things that we were we were thinking about were our, our sort of our enterprise clinical data sets. Um, so part of the, the motivation was that we had a, a timetable where we had to, to get off some technologies that we were currently using that were on-prem. Um, so the technology was being sunset. So I knew I had to have uh, a different option available by the time we had the sunset. And so at that point, the organization had already started to do some exploration and, and were really challenging us to start thinking about putting things into a cloud environment uh, to hopefully over time reduce our data center costs. 
Um, there's some interesting uh, thoughts around that that I'm sure that we'll touch on. Um, the, the cost aspect of it is is uh, frequently misunderstood and misrepresented. Mm-hmm. Um, so that also was part of the, the the thought process we used to determine which things we we're going to start with. So you know, when you're thinking about um, data and analytics, um, if you're talking having people consume them, um, in you know from a visualization standpoint. It, it makes a lot of sense and it's relatively straightforward to do that when they're having to do have do a lot more interaction and they're like wanting to download things i don't know about the rest of you but i know the minute we started you know putting out applications or dashboards people started asking well can we print it like, <laughs> what <laughs> uh, but but the, the interaction w- w- was really the piece that uh, we have to gauge in terms of which things we put there which things we keep on an on-premise solution um, just so it, it was relatively simple because it was the data sets that we had the most familiarity with, the most knowledge of, and certainly we had a, a good sense of which components of the data were really critical, which ones weren't. So, so we don't want to put everything into the analytics environment, just the things that are really um, going to be supporting analytics. Was the printing, is that a security concern about the printing? No, it's just when you're the whole idea of doing visualizations is hopefully you can get to the top, I don't know, 30 things that you're curious about and understanding how to adjust something. Um, you know, historically, you had to get an analyst to go do this work only to find out that the answers to your question um, couldn't really weren't apparent. You had to go deeper. right? And so instead of waiting in a queue for, you know, for, for someone to do that work, we're enabling them to see the, the things that they're most concerned about at their fingertips. Why would you want to print that? It, 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 honestly, it, so it's just a mindset. There's definitely people who still want print copies of things, but we're trying to move away from that. And that's the whole idea of, of producing, you know, those kind of tools um, with a visual representation of the data. Very good. Beth, your thoughts? Well, I think we, for, uh, for me, we, you know, started migrations of things like email, you know, way back. We did that 10 years ago or something. But um, just looking at when certain um, technologies were available um, in the cloud or certain applications was part of it. And that's evolved for us in terms of, you know, our researchers do a lot of file sharing um, as, they're, as they're in grants. Um, and so, you know, being able to do some of that in the cloud was important. But just generally for us to store our documents in the cloud was was a was our starting point. And then looking at any um, platforms that were cloud based, you know, native cloud, we the preference would be to do that versus um, on prem. I think for us, we you know our more recent types of things are our data warehouse that is used by research and clinical. Um, with a lot of genomic data, a lot of data coming from other sources on on genomics. So being able to have that in the cloud, looking at um, the compute capabilities and tools there, similar to what Chris was saying around visualization, all of those kinds of things, being able to do all of that, it was critical. So um, again, I think that that was a need in the organization to uh, simplify and put some uh, relief on the data center side as well. Um, but now we're, we are at a point where we're, we're doing uh, static storage, backups, all those kinds of things um, in, the, in the cloud. We're sort of a hybrid cloud model um, on purpose. But um, I think that we're now looking at the big things like our, the next one might be our electronic medical record. We already have our um, ERP, uh, you know, cloud-based or our, uh, our CRM. So a lot of our big platforms are already cloud-based, but EMR, the, the electronic medical record is probably the last bastion on that. So that would be another one that we would um, do. And, and the motivation for us candidly is, you know, living in both worlds, on-prem and cloud, is the most um, cumbersome op- option in terms of staffing, and um, and I think that the idea would be we would like to just not have data, you know on-prem data centers risk to deal with, you know where it's located, 
um, keeping up with the end of life, all the refresh. So those things are a motivator for us, particularly right now, because we are looking at trying to um, take one of our data centers out of the equation here. So, so I think that that was why we still have you know a ways to go again with the EMR being a big one. And then as we are replacing products, um, looking at at you know in the RFP process, even making sure that they're cloud based. Beth, um, so you're saying that hybrid hybrid world living in that hybrid world is is not the best. Um, oh, it's yeah. it's resource intensive. Um, and I've heard other people say either some some workloads they think are a, a way long way off or they think they'll be on-prem forever. It might've been some of these genomic type intensive things, could be some imaging stuff. It was sort of the very heavy uh, kind of workloads, but uh, do you have a different vision where eventually you're gonna have that all out there in the cloud? I think, I think eventually, I do think for us, imaging packs and digital pathology and some of those, um, components are probably the last ones to to move completely although we are looking at that right now um I, you know i do have concerns just about you know store it's a lot of storage you know big images that we have on our side so uh and research packs images too so but that is an intent is to consider you know moving in that direction and certainly you know reducing our footprint on prem dramatically um but so the hybrid ideas, of course, some is driven by the vendor that you, you know, software vendor that you work with on, in some cases. And for us, you know, we, we have multi-cloud on purpose because we don't want to be reliant on one. So we can rehost under different clouds, you know, over time. But that's that's kind of the thought. And and the expensive part is really just about the kinds of staffing. You know, you have cloud architects. You, you know, you have a lot of different kinds of skills that you have to bring to, to bear when you're sort of living pretty heavily in both worlds. Um, great. And I want to follow up on that in a little bit. But Siv, I want to bring you in. Uh, what are your thoughts to what you're hearing, your comments? Uh, I think, you know, uh, I agree with most of the things that uh, my panelists, uh, co-panelists have talked about. Uh, we, for example, have done application uh, migrations to the cloud for some of our clients. We did it for a large uh, a Midwest not-for-profit health system, migrated their legacy uh, Microsoft's, uh, Microsoft SQL Server parallel data warehouse you know, from on-prem to the cloud uh, with multiple systems like Epic, SAP, and PressGainy patient experience data in it. And then we did a large, uh, for a large academic medical center on the East Coast, we integrated data from, you know, more than 60 different uh, systems into a Databricks-based modern lake house. Uh, so I think the selection of uh, applications and what order you go there, uh, it mostly for us depends on customer requirements, but it's also related to because you can't migrate everything all at once. You have to make sure that the existing business processes that are running uh, and which are mission critical and, uh, you know, they're the revenue generating or the, uh, the things in the company that uh, need to stay on. So you do not want to address those uh, first. You want to address the ones that... Uh, you know, are more peripheral and then move on as you gain more experience uh, to the critical systems and then migrate them as well. Okay. Uh, and then, you know, in terms of legacy infrastructure, most of most companies, you know, they're motivated by cost as well as better management. And that's what we see in most of our clients as well. I think so, the supply chain issues are, are another driver these days with equipment. Right. Supply chain. Um, Beth, uh, you mentioned multi-cloud and and not wanting to be sort of beholden or owned as it were by any one vendor. Um, and then I think you briefly mentioned that you need, you need a talent mix in-house that can handle each one of those. If you're not just gonna do one, 
it makes you gives you a little more freedom, but it also requires more in-house talent. I would imagine that you need talent that knows how to manage each specific environment. Is that correct? Well, I think that, you know, if if you have someone that is their 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 experience is cloud yeah. um, from an architecture perspective, yes, there's nuances, I think, with every with every service provider, but um, but in general, knowing and understanding that environment um, is different than for folks that are working with on-prem solutions, right? Mm -hmm. um, and storage architects and some of the things that you have to have. But I think that for just from my perspective, we're seeing that we're not really reducing the, the, the on-prem types of skills because we still have to maintain that, but we're also adding to that new skills, whether it's security, um, architect, just a lot of operations types that, um, you know, particularly in the infrastructure area that, um, but even some, you know, cyber that feels a little bit different as well. So, um, so some of those are being additive, you know, it's not that we're replacing, we're, we're adding because the environments are, you know, diff are different. So Chris, that's interesting, right? We want to, we want to reduce, but we, we, so we want to go to cloud, maybe get rid of on-prem, but at least for a while, we have to live in both worlds. Uh, we want to have a multi-cloud environment to give us freedom, but we still need the on-prem talent. We need the, the uh, general cloud talent and perhaps at least certifications in different specific cloud environments. So it sounds like during this transition period, instead of being able to reduce cost and um, and expenses, it goes up at least for a short period of time. Does that make sense? Yeah, I, I think that's that's consistent with my own experience as well. And we've been, you know, go, moving things carefully um, for all the reasons that everyone would expect. Our finance team is is certainly very very close to the conversations and the planning. Um, because they need to understand what the what the real impact is. Um, you know, one of the things that I've challenged on a couple of occasions, they were there's discussion around some some applications that had really high you know I/O input output, and th those were ones that I cautioned. You know, let's let's dip our toe with something that's maybe seeing a little less transactional activity, um, so we can really understand what that cost looks like. Because you know, just reducing our footprint in the data center doesn't necessarily mean the cost is coming down. Um, so we, we need to make sure that we're, we're monitoring it. Um, but the, the the challenge with that is not only you know kind of testing the waters, but then the other piece of it's readiness. Um, there's not every application is a candidate right now for us. Um, there's a good chunk of them that are, you know getting it ready for for cloud is on their roadmap but the vendors aren't anywhere near the point where they're ready for us to, to do the, the, any kind of migration. So it's not as easy as one would hope, but there's definitely an, an interim uh, model where pro probably it's a little bit more expensive. And Siv, what when you're advising clients and talking to potential clients who are looking at this kind of migration, how would you describe to them, you know, one of their goals is cost reduction, at least on-prem, how would you paint the picture for them about the resources they're going to need to allocate and the road that they're going to be going down? It may not be, at least initially, as rosy in terms of dropping costs right away. Do you try and sort of prepare them for that? Yeah, so I think, you know, it's a big difference between OPEX versus CAPEX. Uh, if you're going with uh, some sort of a public cloud that you with a pay-as-you-go model, uh, that becomes more of operational expenditure. But if you're you know, wanting to have total control and actually set up a private cloud, that is very similar in the expenditure um, domain to your old on-prem where you had a lot of CapEx. So I think that's one of the things. The other thing that I have seen with a lot of clients is that the first few bills or invoices that come in always surprise the client. You know, either they're too high or they're too low, <laughs> uh, depending on the usage uh, of the cloud. And that's something that's very different from having an on-prem system where, uh, you know, compute and things like that are pretty much free, right? You don't get, it's not a uh, pay as you go or use or pay for what you use for. 
so I think we do prepare our uh, clients for those things. Chris, one of the things that, that we've heard speaking to individuals about this type of issue is that you need to really have good governance around the environment so that, um, you know, it's like the I would use a sandbox example. Everybody wants to play. You know, they say, this is great. You've given us these toys. We can play. But if there's no governance around spinning things up, when you get that bill, you find out how much they've been playing and it doesn't work out well for you. So what are your thoughts around that? That's a, that's a great point, and you know, we've fortunately when, when when we launched things here when we first started, you know, we were only using you know one of the cloud solutions, and there's a, there's a central um, area where the, those things are, are are routed. So you know, for example, we have I think now four different groups who have come to us that wanted a, their own uh, cloud environment to work in. And so you know we work with them to set that up, but they're they're accountable from a funding standpoint. It's their they have to provide their cost center, and that's where the the, the charge is going to show up. Um, but we, we're monitoring those things, you know, on their behalf as, as well. Um, but again, it, it's it comes through a process. It's not anyone can ask for it, and it's free. Um, mm -hmm. We're making the, the the divisions that are looking to do that work. We're making them accountable for the expense and making sure they understand what they're what they're getting into. Beth, is this challenging or you just got to put the right structure around it and this shouldn't be a big deal if, as long as you understand the right way to, to do it? Well, you know, because we have research, I'm sure Chris experiences this too, with really high-end computing needs, um, we can charge back for their time, right, for for what they're using. Um, it's all, it, you can do it, you can do it on-prem for cycle time, but it, you know, you have to, fill, you know, build in the equipment and all the different things that would that you have to take into account. It's it's complicated to do it. So it is interesting for people to um, to see how how they're using, even for data storage. You know, right. even file storage. You know, it's it's <coughs> a surprise when people see the kind of uh, growth. You know that people are, and and on on the uh the other side from my perspective as we look at this yeah you do have to have good controls in place you should be monitoring what's going on but you know on the other hand when we have in the data center when we had our high performance computing in the data center you're buying a lot of machine that you're not using 24 7. you have to you're building for growth in the future so you're paying for it you know now and but you're not going to use it all. So if it's a five year life on something, you know, you're you're buying something that you'll need at the end. Right. And so there's there's waste there, you know. And so that's that's important, I think, when you're looking at things like, you know, performance, um, the high performing types of uh, work that that goes on. You know, it doesn't go on always 24 seven, you know. So, so Siv, that's an upside for the way the yeah. cloud charges yes. because you're using you 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 may be using a lot but at least you're you're paying for what you use as opposed to what Beth is talking about in the old model you had to sort of pay ahead excess capacity you might not need uh may never need or might need far down the road um but Siv do you have any thoughts on this idea of making sure um the usage doesn't get out of control and that there's governance around it and that the things that are being spun up are the things the organization should be spinning up. Yeah, so, you know, one of the things that our clients love about uh, a cloud-based uh, warehouse or analytics environment is the fact that they can scale when needed and then scale back down. Uh, now, what we do always in this case is we do set up monitors that... Uh, are able to figure out you know how much of a cost is being run up as some of these massive compute operations are being deployed so it should not be something that you track only you know every 15 days or every week but on a daily basis you should be getting some idea of uh, you know what are the big compute operations and what are the costs that are being run up so we make sure we do that yeah, Beth, I think you would want those users and those researchers to have some sort of fairly real-time 
feedback on the bill as it's going up. So they right. say, well, I didn't, I didn't know this was going to happen. And right. I mean, you almost need that real time feedback. What, what well, are you, you can about? get it, you know, cause you huh? can see what's actually happening depending mm-hmm. on how you've, you set up the, the cloud. But in, in that case for us at a minimum, it needs to be prepared for a showback so that they can see what they're doing and figure out, you know, in some cases, grants can help pay for for things like that. But in a lot of cases, it's coming right out of, you know, right out of the company's coffers, obviously. So I think that in any case, we have a better opportunity to show um, where the where the where the cost is being out, you know, what is really happening out there and where are we seeing that that, that growth, you know, um, on the cloud side. All right. Very good. Next question. Um, <clears throat> this is uh, sort of the big one. Um, Chris, let's go with you first. Some organizations have not realized the hopes for benefits after cloud migration. What are some reasons this could happen and how could they be avoided? And then um, sort of where are you on your journey in terms of realizing those? You know, that's the theory here is that you can you can uh, miss some things in the way you're structuring it or executing it that will leave you not having realized the hope for benefits. And we want to talk about that. So Chris, your thoughts. I think a lot of it comes down to having the right expectations going, going into it. Um, sometimes the goals are a little bit uh, uninformed and I think that's where there can be some, some unintended consequences. Um, but I, I think the, probably one of the biggest ones that you know, had to be really socialized and vetted with the executive team, I think Sid, you already referred to this, but there is a pivot from a capital spend versus to an operating spend. And if you're an organization um, that's got an aggressive growth strategy like we do, uh, there's a lot of reasons you have to you know, keep that balance properly. You don't want to you know, adversely impact your operating expense and have it go sky high at a point in time when you're you're planning for some significant growth uh, in the organization, whether it's acquisition or or investments you want to make. Um, so I think that's one of the things that, you know, if, if you're early in your journey, definitely make sure that you, you're spending some time with the finance folks. Um, find the one that's more, most interested in the topics so that you can, you, you can have a good uh, partner to really explore it. Um, but it, again, I think that moving too quickly is probably another significant uh, risks risk to uh, not achieving what you're expecting to achieve. I think you've got to have a little bit of experience under your belt before you you know hit really hit the gas pedal and, and, and move as fast as you want to. Um, the idea of shutting down data centers, I mean, of course, everyone wants to save that money. But the realities uh, are that you're, you're going to learn along the way, like you do, you know, even in doing typical development activities for if you're doing software development or just data and analytics, there's going to be some surprises. And you really have to walk before you run. I guess that's the, it seems cliche, but I think there's truth there. Very good, Beth. So I would just to, to, um, continue that line of, of uh, discussion, the, the move to OPEX is pretty dramatic. And um, in many cases, because it directly affects EBITDA, um, those, uh, that is not always uh, well received. And being able to, you know, people do a lot of shopping in the organization. And then at the end of the year, when the, when the bill comes due, People get a little bit surprised. So keeping the organization up to speed on exactly what's happening and what what it's going to mean is important. I mean, we probably have seven hundred percent or more increase in our in our SaaS line item, but we haven't reduced our spend in maintenance yet because we still have a lot of the data center stuff in there, right? So so it's really incremental cost to some degree. Um, that that we're dealing with. And the other thing is, once it's in the cloud, um, depending on, you know, f- from us, from a financial treatment of that asset, or is it is not an asset. So if you upgrade it or um, have a big project around it, you can't capitalize that work. So it means that every, for us, we're very capital intensive on our projects. 
but now, you know, based on guidelines, finance guidelines, that even, even doing big upgrades, doing anything at all with it requires operating expense. It's not just the actual run, it's everything associated with it is now operating. So it is, um, it means doing less in some cases if budget's an issue and the organization in our case is growing extremely rapidly with large construction initiatives, again, the acquisitions, there's a lot going on. And so you can't, you can't stand still, but they, but it, what it's doing for us is at least it's, it's increasing our overall spend, you know, beyond natural growth. Um, so I think that the organization uh, leadership, particularly finance, um, really has to understand what, what, um, what this means ahead of time, not after the fact. Explaining it later isn't helpful. You know, it's preparing them in, in the, for what's coming. That's great. Great stuff. You both talked about uh, working closely with finance, I would imagine the CFO. Um, and but Beth, you talk about that 700% increase and that the other numbers haven't come down. That just makes me think how important it is. You said you got to get ahead of it, but you have to tell a story. Right. I mean, you have to craft a vision and you have to craft a story ahead of time. And you have to, like you said, you have to explain these things. These can't be a surprise. You have to say it's ahead of time so that when it happens, you could say, yeah, I, I explained that this was how it was going to go. Um, that sounds like a key here, Beth. Well, you know, CIOs are in the sales business. We have to do that. And we can't just do it once. You have to do it all year long. You can't you have to continue. They have other jobs. This isn't where their minds are at the, you know, at the senior executive level in the organization. So keeping up, you know, can, finding opportunities to explain again and again without being dull, um, but to make <laughs> sure that they know throughout the year, oh, we're, we're getting ready to do this, this will mean, and, or just a reminder, you know, we will see an uptick in our OPEX because of, you know, the fact that we added another huge organization and yeah, um, there's there's a lot of growth of users and FT uh, headcount, um, licensing, all that kind of good stuff. So, you know, it, it's just letting people know all the time about what's happening with IT and also having in your back pocket a little bit about benchmarks with other orga similar organizations or just what's happening in the industry around this, around cloud migration and what, you know, it may mean that percent of uh, uh, the IT organization is now 7% or 5% of total revenue or expense because of where we're trying to head overall. So this is one piece. Siv, your thoughts? Yeah, so I would identify based on our experience with clients, three major issues about uh, relating to why organizations may not have realized their hope for benefits. Uh, you know, from cloud migration. Number one, in my opinion, uh, is the skill set, right? So when an organization that is transitioning to the cloud for, let's say, a data warehouse, uh, the people who have been managing the on-prem warehouse uh, may not have the skill set to migrate efficiently to uh, a cloud-based uh, application. So that's one of the things that is overlooked. Uh, everybody thinks you can just train people. Uh, in most cases you can, but then you have to plan for that. Uh, the second is uh, what my co-panelists already talked about. Many customers don't anticipate the variances in cost for cloud services. I had an example of a data science team that ran some process for a client that lasted two or three days. And, you know, that, huge server doing some predictive model training ran up $2,000 in three days. Yep. Uh, and then the third one is, you know, issues around cloud security and performance. Theoretically, it should be better than on-prem because uh, you can secure most of these popular cloud providers much better than you can do a data server. But uh, again, it requires the right resources uh, who are trained in uh, cloud security, and then also in performance. Great. 
Siv, what's what's the main reason uh, that customers bring you in and your organization in? What's the number one thing they need help with sort of more specifically that if they try and do it on their own, um, they might have some trouble? Uh, as I said, that's the first one among the three reasons I listed the skill set, right? Uh, uh, it's tempting to try to do things yourself, but then mature organizations realize that it's better to get a vendor or a consultant to do that initial implementation in a sort of turnkey way and then hand it over to the existing technology teams to maintain and run. Uh, that's the main reason we are sought after by our clients that we have expertise doing this sort of migration uh, for years on end for tens or scores of clients. Uh, and so, you know, it's a risk-free way to migrate to something better uh, without uh, uh, any negative business impact. And do you train up uh, the in-house talent so that they're ready to then take on those roles? Or is it just that you do the work and they have more time to go out and get training on their own? Uh, we have done some training for particular clients. Uh, most of the time, uh, you know, the clients deal with training of their staff mm -hmm. on their own. But uh, we have done some training for specific clients who asked for it because they said, you know, we would like our resources to be working with your resources mm -hmm. and then learn on the job. Right. Yeah. All right, very good. Chris, let's start with you on this. Who are the key executives IT leaders need to work with during cloud migration and optimization? Obviously, we hit on finance pretty hard, so I think we got that one. But mm -hmm. uh, who are some of the other folks that, that you need to work with to get this done? Well, I, I would say that there, there's a 1A and a 1B. I think finance would be, you can pick which slot they, they're in. The other one is the, the CISO, um, hands down from my perspective. The only reason I can sleep at night is because I know that the CISO and her team, they, they, they're they the ones staying up every night. Um, and I'm sure, Beth, you can probably attest to the number of uh, insane, that number of, of attempts that are happening on a daily basis to breach our systems. Um, so, you know, I, I would say that's probably one of the key ones to, to get on board right away and make sure that they're involved in the vetting processes. Um, you know, our legal team and procurement, I mean, they, they go through a great, a great amount of rigor when it comes to any kind of contracting that we do. But for me, that I, the CISO is probably the most critical one um, among, among the others. Um, but I think when you're dealing with um, the large research division, um, you, you definitely want to have you know, a, a really strong um, leader in that space as well that under, can really understand and, and grasp what we're talking about. Because one of the challenges I always get is research doesn't have a lot of funding and, and they're always telling me that. So they, they don't want to pay a lot of money for the, for the support that, that they need to do their work. Um, but you know that, that really necessitates a really tight um, re relationship there so that you can work through things together. Because you do have to figure out how to help them advance um, but, you know, someone's got to have a really good understanding of, of what it really means um, from a cost perspective to make the kind of transitions that they're needing to make. Excellent, Chris. Thank you. Beth? No, I absolutely agree with what Chris said. I think it's all of those people. Data governance probably is another uh, a group or, or discipline that is important in terms of knowing where the data is. And obviously in healthcare, we're always worried about um, HIPAA data. So I think it's involving them um, in understanding where these things sit, knowing where they sit when when you are working with cloud vendors too is important. But by far, you know, cyber is a, but cyber is us kind of a thing, but still that's that's a key key piece of this. We we involve our enterprise architecture group pretty heavily, but again, that's somewhat internal. So um, compliance legal, finance, all critical. Who really doesn't care is our is most of our customers. You know, they don't care as long as they can do their work and use the system. You know, I think that they they do. Research is a different animal and it is very different model. So for them, I think it that was a great point, Chris, that they are they are pivotal in terms of engaging them on the kinds of things that unique 
kinds of things that they do um, that other areas of the organization do not. Very interesting with that research element. Siv, your thoughts? Uh, I think, you know, the chief financial officer for sure, the chief information security officer, uh, I would say the chief legal people, the risk management people need to get involved. Uh, and sometimes it's not necessarily executives, but you also need to bring on board people at a slightly lower level, uh, application development managers and cloud security engineers and program managers, because they're the ones who are making it happen. Excellent. All right, we're going to do my my favorite section here, ask a co-panelist, where we find out what the panelists want to learn from each other. So, Siv, I'm going to let you go first. Do you have a question for one or both of your co-panelists? Right. So what would you say uh, has been your best and your worst cloud migration if you've done more than one? Chris, you want to jump in? I, 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 I think, you know, for for the organization, I, I think some of the early early successes have been in kind of in the app development space where it, it's um, it, it's new capabilities that we're developing and it, it's not a high, uh, not a high transaction volume out of the gate. And that was one of the early wins that we had. And it gave us a good, a good opportunity to really assess you know what? What is this really going to look like? Uh, you know what? What's the the impact from a processing standpoint, and what's the cash impact um, after after the first couple of months, seeing what the bills look like? Um, I I think you know we we've been going pretty cautiously, you know, over the last you know three or four years. Anyway, I think we probably slowed down because of the pandemic. I would be wouldn't be surprised if others in the healthcare sector did as well, um, but. You know, we've been fortunate. Thankfully, I don't, we haven't done it. Flipped the switch to move a whole bunch of things all at once and had it bite us. So, I'm, I'm grateful for that. Very good, Beth. Yeah, I would have to say, you know, I think for us, the more challenging is yet to come. Um, particularly when we think about imaging and stuff like that. But I'm curious about, um, you know, how uh, as we go through this, you know, we when we get into some of these deeper things, how, how it goes so far, so good. I think, you know, the easiest things are sort of static storage, you know, that nobody really uses. It gets it out of your data center. It's great to have it up there, but, you know, find a low cost, um, but good uh, service to, to store it. But those are sort of easy, you know, um, Email, my, you know, the whole migration uh, for all of the email suite, well, I'll say Microsoft in this case, but, you know, is um, it's not as easy uh, for customers because there is a little bit of uh, uniqueness there. So that might have been actually, believe it or not, one of our, our, I've done it twice. So each time it's been a little bit of a different way of, of working for, for the people that use the applications. Uh, Beth, I would imagine, you know, <clears throat> you don't want to get overconfident, right? Because we're starting out with very sort of more simple projects because that makes sense. But it sounds like there's such a drastic difference between those simple projects and the big heavy ones that we don't want to get overconfident. Yeah, I, I mean, DevOps is a great example because although it's very important, it is it's not as central to the work that everyone, you know, the where everybody's connecting every day, you know? Right. Um, so it does, those things are a, a little easier to dip your toe in. But, you know, we're getting to the point now where it's it's getting to be pretty big platforms that we're talking about. And some are already there with vendors, you know, that, that supply it. So that's mm -hmm. different, but. Right. Very good. All right, Chris, do you have a question for one or both of your co-panelists? Actually, yes. So I, I know imaging images have been mentioned, um, but I would but I would love to know, you know, what kind of experience you either of you might be having or that you can speak to. Is we're we're in the process of trying to figure out um, what's what's the right solution for us um, to to start moving like DICOM images, and you know, I think Beth, you mentioned digital path. That's something that's we're we're looking at at the moment as well. 
Um, I'd love to know what you can share in terms of what we should anticipate from a cost perspective as we pivot from on-prem. Beth, you want to go first? I'll try that, but we're we're still in the throat. We just were getting ready to pull the trigger on storage on on packs, particularly um, in the cloud, and we're 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 looking at it right now. We're trying to figure out how to get there. I think when we think about research and some of how they handle imaging, that's probably an easier foray in because. It, you don't have the the physicians trying to read these images, right, and and pull in images to for day to day working with patients, and you know they're they have to they have to have this right now. So I think I think it's if it's easier to do some of the imaging where it isn't, you know, where it isn't that page, patient intensive for us. So I don't know. We are right now working on whether or not we're going to move it into the cloud this year or or whether we're going to hold off for a little bit. So I'll be happy to tell you when I get there. But I think the storage, you know, of images for something like research seems to be um, that seems like something that would be a little less pressure for me. Siv? Uh, so uh, I can't say that we've migrated a PAX or a DICOM like system, a RISPAC system uh, with images. Uh, on over to the cloud, but we have done uh, archives on the cloud, which include images. Uh, so uh, that has been pretty well received. Uh, it's, uh, you know, being able to manage costs and uh, it gives you a, a live archive, not a dead one on tape or something like that, that the uh, physicians and others at uh, provider system can access for patients uh, whom they are uh, looking at today in their EMRs. I, I, I agree with you, Steph. I think for us, we do that for documents, scan documents, things like that. It's just that interaction, right, that makes me a little bit uncomfortable. Um, but yeah, that's a great use case for it. Very good. All right, Beth, do you have a question for one or both of your co-panelists? Well, this is just a curiosity more than anything, but, um, you know, edge computing is the new thing, right? It, it'll eat um, cloud computing. The lunch for cloud computing is the word. Um, what is your, what, if anything, are you doing along those lines, particularly because we have IoT, you know, patients at home, all kinds of things happening, just curious about whether either one of you are pretty are, are moving in that space as well. Chris, you want to jump in? I, I know that there, there's definitely a, a, a couple of areas of of, um, of focus within, within uh, parts of the IT organization here, um, but we're we're walking softly because um, we are hopefully very, very close to agreeing on putting some standard systems in here. Um, growth by acquisition sometimes can be painful. And I think we, we're, we're, we're a good use case for what that pain can look like. We have <laughs> literally every EHR under the sun with the exception of Epic in our health system right now still. Um, and as we've grown by acquisition, it seems as though the shopping list only contains those organizations that have systems that we haven't seen yet. I think that's primarily to make my my team lose their marbles, <laughs> um, but but that, that that's definitely a challenge. So we're moving very slowly because we have to pivot. We've got to make a change and get onto common platforms, and you can probably imagine where that's going to lead us. Yeah, Siv, I actually haven't seen much edge computing uh, in the healthcare world. Uh, if uh, if I'm wrong and I don't know, but it looks like it's more, uh, you know, telecommunications, finance, many other industries are adopting uh, edge computing at a faster pace. Uh, healthcare is more of a centralized model even now. So at least from the clients that I've been interacting with, we don't hear anything about edge computing. All right. Not too much there. Shockingly, healthcare is not on the cutting edge, right? We're all, we're all shocked with that. Horrified and shocked. Yeah. All right. We just have uh, a few minutes left, so I just want to get some final thoughts. Um, let me frame this up by saying 
your best piece of advice based on your experience so far where you've where you've had success and in the areas we've discussed today your best piece of advice for someone in your position at a comparable sized organization what what would that be chris let's start with you if you if you have the mindset that you've got a superman cape on take the cape off you you need people you need relationships to 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 be successful and you know, for the for the reasons that I think we've covered, I think we've even identified some of those key individuals within an organization that you'd really need to make sure that you're you're communicating you know, pretty consistently with uh, with regard to what the objectives and the goals are. And honestly, you you need their input and, and their advice in terms of how to navigate within the organization as well as you're you know, tasked with you know, making this kind of a transition. Very good, Beth. I would say um, that, you know, make sure that your approach, your plan, your migration plan um, is well understood and, and that you're not doing it to do it. You're doing it with, a, with, a, with an outcome in mind and be clear on that because um, cloud for cloud's sake is not the right answer. And people often will do that, you know, uh, because in IT, sometimes we can. But I think understanding the approach and being able to articulate that along with the financial impact of that plan is critical. That's a great point. That's a great point. It's got to be tied to the vision of the organization and how it's going to help the organization achieve that vision. Um, Right. Very good point. Siv, uh, we're going to give you the final word, your best piece of advice for folks that are looking to move down this road. Sure. I think, you know, for points come to mind. One would be uh, make sure you have the people trained to do this sort of stuff. Uh, You need people who are cloud certified with modern cloud technology skills. Application rationalization is the second one. You don't need to move everything to the cloud all at once. So make sure you're moving the rightly chosen applications first. Uh, Identify potential issues uh, well ahead of the migration. Because you know you're not the first company doing this, so you can learn from the mistakes that others have made, and uh, identify potential issues that could crop up, and you know how you're going to mitigate them. And then, lastly, you have to have a really well-defined cloud security strategy. Hmm. Yeah, certainly cyber, uh, a huge issue. We talked about uh, correlating with finance. Um, so a lot of a lot of great information for the folks attending today. Uh, that's about all we had time for today regarding regarding continuing education. You could use the final slide in this deck for your uh, certificate. You will receive an email when the on-demand recording is ready for viewing. If you want to sponsor an event with us, you can reach out to Nancy Wilcox from our team and go to our website to register for upcoming panels. With that, I want to thank our wonderful panel today, Chris Hutchins, Beth Lindsay Wood, and Dr. Siv Raman. I want to thank 314E for sponsoring and you for attending. And with that, everybody have a wonderful day. Thank you.